Through their investment in the corn checkoff, Minnesota's corn growers are fueling research that builds a more sustainable future for farmers and all Minnesotans. Each month, we will be speaking with the researchers who are leading the projects helping farmers become better stewards of the land and developing new markets that increase profitability. Today, we're talking with John Baker, a research leader with the USDA ARS Soil and Water Management Unit in St. Paul, who's also an adjunct professor with the University of Minnesota Department of Soil, Water, and Climate. What we're talking about here is is essentially a way to get the benefits of perennial cover without sacrificing cropland area. And this is at least partially in response to uh, recent uh, regulations by the state of Minnesota regarding buffers along all waterways in the state that it requires perennial vegetation, 50 feet buffers of perennial vegetation on all natural waterways and 16 and a half foot buffers on uh, installed waterways like drainage ditches. And this is a lot of land to, to take out of production. And so our goal here was to see if we could develop a farming system that would allow us to uh, maintain perennial vegetation in these areas, but still continue to produce row crops like corn and soybeans. And this ties into an earlier research that we had had been involved in related to the benefits of cover crops. Winter cover crops have long been promoted by NRCS and others as a way to reduce erosion and uh, maintain soil health. This has always been a challenge in Minnesota due to uh, uh, a relatively short growing season, there's often not much time in the fall to establish winter cover crops. So we had been working years before the buffer legislation on ways to establish perennial cover crops that don't have to be replanted every year. And the particular crop that we had used uh, was a, a type of clover, a legume that originated in Central Asia called Cura clover. And it's a very interesting plant that uh, spreads by rhizomes and is really hardy, winter hardy, drought tolerant. And because it spreads, unlike alfalfa, it doesn't thin out over time. It constantly is filling back in thin spots. And we thought that would make it an excellent candidate for a, a perennial cover crop. So we started working with this 14 years ago. And the way we do it, we establish a cura clover field. And then once it's established, we can go in with uh, strip tillage or zone tillage and create rows to plant corn in. And the corn grows up and produces a crop. And then after you take the corn off, the clover is still down underneath and it regenerates in the fall and in the spring. It's a cool season crop. And so you end up with perennial cover crop on the surface, but still the capability of growing row crops. And when the buffer legislation was passed, it occurred to us that this might be an ideal way to meet the, the goals and, and the requirements of, of the buffer law while still preserving uh, income from these uh, buffer areas along waterways. So to, to make sure that I am visualizing this correctly, this cover crop that you're talking about would go all the way along the edges of these waterways and essentially instead of having to avoid those, those buffer zones, you could still come in and strip in corn, soybeans closer to those waterways with this cover crop. And that's correct. So what have been the findings? What have been some of the challenges? And, and where do you go from here? 
Yeah, that's a very interesting question, and uh, there are indeed challenges, and we have had some very interesting findings. Uh, I'll start with the findings. Within this particular project, uh, we've had an excellent uh, graduate student working on this project, John Alexander, uh, and he actually, uh, his his father is a corn and soybean farmer in southwest Minnesota, so John's well familiar with the challenges of farming, and he's done an excellent job on this project. What he has found, uh, his initial master's uh, level research was looking at nitrogen requirements in this system. Because uh, cure clover is a legume, it fixes lots of nitrogen. And what he looked at was whether that allows us to reduce the fertilizer N requirement in these systems. And what he found is that when we first go into a, a pure stand of clover and strip till and plant corn, we don't need any nitrogen fertilizer at all. And then in the second year and presumably in subsequent years, uh, we can cut back our, our nitrogen fertilizer to about 100 to 110 pounds per acre without affecting yield. And uh, what he's working on now is addressing some of the challenges that, that we have run across, one of which is the time that it takes to establish a cure clover field. One of the challenges with cure clover is that it uh, is slow initially to develop. It puts most of its early photosynthate into the root system and consequently uh, initially doesn't produce a lot of above ground biomass and so it doesn't compete particularly well with weeds. And what we have found is that it takes about two years of uh, occasional mowing of hay removal to really allow the cura to take over the field and 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 uh, eliminate the weed competition. But two years is a long time to ask farmers to take land out of production. And so we're experimenting now with, with ways that we can speed that up, particularly by uh, seeding cura clover into a standing alfalfa field. So if a farmer has alfalfa already planted, and typically they'd keep that in for three years, maybe a maximum of four before it starts to thin out. And our idea is that if we can seed cura clover into that, we can continue to manage it as a hay crop and that the cura will gradually take over from the alfalfa. And our idea is that uh, after a couple of years, we'll have a cura stand without ever having taken the field out of production. So that's one of the things that we're currently working on. The other uh, challenge, I guess, if you will, is a shortage of seed. We've got a number of farmers who would like to like to try cure clover, and they just can't find seed for it. And so we have been uh, contacting uh, people who might be interested in seed production and helping them get started on that. And Albert B. Seedhouse also is is uh, we we provided them some seed this past spring. And they're they're uh, selling that to farmers who are interested in getting into seed production. So to think specifically about uh, a farm that has been impacted by the buffer law, and so they've had land come out of production because of its proximity to a waterway. Do you envision that in those fields, John, that the entire field would go to a cover crop, or would it be more, and I think you said it early on, kind of a, a zone approach where you'd have that cover crop maybe in those buffer zones only, or, or would it really be necessary to have that cover crop throughout the entire field? Uh, certainly not necessary to have it throughout the whole field. And actually, I think it has greatest applicability in 
in specific areas because it it uh, it does require a little bit more management and for a farmer who's got several thousand acres of, of corn, I think uh, it would probably not be realistic to expect them to put it all into this system. It, it, as I mentioned, has applicability in buffer areas along waterways. Another area where I think it has a lot of potential is on steep sloped ground because it really reduces erosion losses down to uh, negligible levels. It also uh, gives us much higher infiltration rates and so ground that uh, is often wet in the spring may have some applicability there because we do see uh, much better trafficability on it. So I, I envision it as uh, being applicable to specific areas, but not covering the whole landscape. So a couple of years to get it established and uh, that type of cover crop seed, hard to come by right now. Um, yeah. How do you see the adoption playing out? Do you see this kind of being over the course of several years, it will slowly grow as far as the, the interest in it, or, or what's realistic? Um, probably what you specified. I mean, I don't think it's going to explode in in use, but it's like a lot of innovations. You know, there are early adopters who, who uh, give it a try, and then their neighbors see how it's working, and, and it spreads almost by word of mouth kind of organically. But uh, that's what I would envision in this case rather rather than widespread, rapid adoption. And I know that the Minnesota corn growers um, have been helping to promote this research. And it's exciting to think about some of the innovation grant projects that have taken place because there's an, an arena where you can uh, really kind of look further at something like this and, and, and see how, how it works. And there's some funding support along the way. And the the corn growers can help get the word out if it's successful, and I, I just see that that makes a lot of sense, um, kind of going that route with it, at least one of the avenues. Yeah, they've been a great partner. Um, the opportunities that we have uh, once a year when we get together with them over at the Bell Museum and also uh, the annual meeting down in Mankato and, and their research meetings as well out at uh, uh, the headquarters in Shakopee have given us a chance to to present our research and spread the word. And one additional uh, thing I should mention is uh, uh, USDA has recently initiated uh, a long-term agricultural research program where they've established sites around the country. And at each one of these, they have asked the local researchers to set up two long-term fields, one in in what's called business as usual for that region. So for our region, that's a corn soybean rate rotation with conventional tillage. And then to set up uh, what they call an aspirational uh, system that is geared towards improving both, both uh, economic and environmental sustainability. And so for our LTAR site, uh, our, our aspirational field is a carrot clover uh, living mulch system with, uh, with corn and soy production in it. And uh, uh, so that's giving us a chance to, to kind of get some national visibility for this, too. And so the, the, the corn growers' uh, support of this has been a, a nice kind of uh, seed grant, if you will, to get this off the ground and going. John, where should our listeners go if they'd like more information on this research? Um, they can go to our website, um, the USDA ARS Soil and Water Management Unit in, in St. Paul. And uh, uh, we've got uh, information there on it. And they're also welcome to contact me. I'd be happy to talk to anybody about it. 
as you've said, you, you've been working on this for quite a while. I'm sure there are, are parts to the research that we haven't yet discussed, but anything else essential to it that, that you feel like we, we better mention before wrapping up? Uh, one, one application that I think we haven't talked about yet, and that is uh, in dairy systems. Uh, that's actually the, the first people that worked on this, a colleague of mine in the University of Wisconsin who's now retired, uh, Ken Albrecht, that was his original interest in it. And it still, I think, has a lot of applicability for producers who need both corn silage and uh, legume hay crop. And so I think it, it, it has particular applicability there as well. And uh, uh, so that's one additional group of, of producers that I think this, this would have a lot of potential for. To learn more, visit mncorn.org.